think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. All right, we're back. Ha 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 ha. You didn't get away from me that easily. Now, all right. Just so you know, you heard the music. It is time to put your thinking cap on, and I'm here to tell you that God is sovereign, regardless of the world. And yes, that's the same thing I was here to tell you last week, but that's because we're still in the same book. And I have a housekeeping thing we've got to deal with. I've got, I've got like clipboards and a tablet and a phone and a water bottle and like 19 sheets of paper. Trying to keep this all straight in my brain. So, if you write this down later, this might make sense to you, but quick housekeeping thing because I wrote something down wrong last week and because I trusted me to say what I wrote down. Where did I put it? See, I can't even find where I wrote it down wrong. That's how good I'm doing. Yeah, for some reason known only to Joe Boo, I wrote Jehu's. I told you yes, uh, last week that he was uh, 841 to 798, and then I looked down and saw that Jehoahaz was 814 to 798, and then I figured, well, that didn't make any sense, so I thought it might have been some co-regency thing. It wasn't. My own chart actually says Jehu was 841 to 814, and Jehoahaz was 814 to 798. So, my bad. Got in a hurry, didn't look at my own notes the correct way, and said the wrong thing. You may take me out back and shoot me if you would, but I would prefer it if you didn't, so it make my life a little bit easier. So, <laughs> when last we left, the, the a great as the Israelites turn, apparently. So let's see, we had run from... Really, Ahab's son were several generations down. So you ready? We have gone from Rehoboam to Abijah to Asa to Jehoshaphat to Joram to Ahaziah to Athaliah to Joash, which is also, um, let me make sure I don't say this wrong again. Let me see. Yeah, Joash, the non-evil king, the kid who is in there. You ready? We've also in Israel gone from Jeroboam to Nabob to Baasha to Elah, Zimri, Tibni, Omri, Ahab, Ahaziah, Jehoram, Jehu to Jehoahaz. And here's where it gets real fun. After Jehoahaz, we're going to get another Joash. Then we're going to second Jeroboam. And this is where Israel and Judah get so much fun because later on we'll get a Jehoahaz in Judah, but it's not the one that was in Israel. And if you're not paying attention, these things will get you. So. If you remember, we had we had flung back, you know, in our whiplash, and we were back in Judah, where Athaliah, who was a queen from what, 841 to, let me make sure I wrote this one down correctly, yeah, 841 to about 835, uh, daughter, granddaughter of Ahab, I can't remember exactly, and I don't see where I have it written down, wiping out things, this is... When people ask, why is Ahab the, the evil king par excellence when there were probably worse kings? And there may have been worse kings. It's not just him. It's almost like when you see in Jude in Second Peter where we talk about the, the line or the descendants of Cain or they have gone the way of Cain or gone the way of Balaam, as Jude puts it. It's not so much that Ahab was just that much more evil than everybody else. It's just the the fruit that is produced by that evil is so long-lasting. It, it would almost be like if for you know whatever reason, and I know this, I can't think of the name of this, but there's a law that says every internet argument will eventually devolve down to a Hitler comparison, so we're going to go ahead and follow that. But it's almost as if, imagine if Hitler's kids had gotten to take over like Austria and Germany. 
and you're like, well, they're not great. Like, they're not quite as bad as dad, but then a couple of them down the line, like, you know, his grandkids or great-grandkids are worse. And you're sitting there going, man, Hitler was bad. Why do we keep comparing everybody to Hitler? Well, because he's the, he's the progenitor of this. He's the beginning of this line. And that's what you're really seeing with Israel. The other thing you're seeing is the overlap, the problem that you get Athaliah, a descendant of Ahab, who is king of Israel, on the throne of Judah, which means... For all of our talk and all of our hope that Judah is going to produce Shiloh, the one to whom it belongs, from Genesis 49, you can't do that if you're working back and forth with the pagan nations around you. And in this instance, Israel is a northern kingdom. By the time you get to Athaliah, they've been a pagan nation for a century. I mean, that's multiple generations goes to show you what happens when we forget our foundations. We forget that it is God to whom we are accountable to and not this world. It is God who preserves us and not our smarts, not our intermarriages. We saw the same problem with Solomon, where he makes treaties through intermarriage with foreign women. Creates issues because it's not so much that that is the big issue, although it is an issue. The bigger issue is that you're no longer trusting in God for provision and preservation. You have turned away from him as Savior, which means you have actually turned to him as judge. This is part of our lesson about where did we learn that God is the one who preserves? We learned that from the family line of Cain. Why do they succeed? Because God upholds them. Why does he do this when they are no good? He's upholding them in judgment. Remember, that. Remember, there are two presences of God, one to bless and one to curse. If we turn away from the presence to bless, we turn away from the presence of the Savior, then we are turning to the presence to curse. We are turning to the presence to bring about judgment. So, understand that. Because that's what you're seeing. So, chapter 12, Joash reigns. We're going to actually get some good things. The temple's going to be repaired. But the, again, we mentioned the problem. He's going to bribe Hazael to leave Jerusalem. Because again, even when we get a good king, he's only eh, so good. Now, we get to the end of that. And Joash is, later on, he's assassinated. And part of the judgment for this, you can actually see it in Second Chronicles 24. And yes, we will go through Chronicles because... Excuse me. Sorry about that. What Kings is going to do is Kings is going to go through Israel and Judah. Well, as long as there is an Israel. Chronicles is not. Chronicles is only going to go through the kings of Judah. That's the, uh, the Bible song. My voice has decided it does not want to cooperate suddenly. There's a Bible song that my kids like to listen to. That's one of the lines. If you want to know the kings of Judah, read Chronicles number two. Uh, the good, the bad, and the lesser to the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And there you go. So that's what's going on in Chronicles. So 2 Kings 13, Jehoahaz is king in Israel. He's evil. He's following in the line of Jehu. Remember, Jehu's sons are going to sit for four generations. So they're not going to end well here at all. You're going to have problems with him. So because of that, Hazael continues to bring about destruction just as Elisha warned that he would. You also have Jehoash, king in Israel. So that'll get us from 798 to around, um, I just lost my spot. Uh, Judah, Judah, where are you? 
See, I got the wrong ones written down. No, I'm sorry. I said Judah, didn't I? I said Jehoash picks up after Jehoahaz, 798 to 782. He's evil. He has wars against the king of Judah, if I read my own notes, against Amaziah, who gets you down into the middle of this uh, 8th century. We also have the death of Elisha here. Now, this is a fun transition time because if you have been wondering about this, because you're apparently very weird, your prophetic books don't really get going here until the reigns of Uzziah and Jeroboam II, so early 8th century of Israel, well, of history, really, early 8th century, um, early 700s B.C. And even then, it's some of your minor prophets, and then towards the end of the 8th century, well, middle-slash-end of the 8th century, you get the ministry of Isaiah. And then the real prophets that most people would quote, Jeremiah, Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, those are exilic prophets. That's late 7th century, early 6th century. So there, we are literally 150 years away from those guys. You may be asking yourself, why? And then why was there this big jump of prophetic ministry suddenly then? Well, because we've had the, the type of the prophet given down. Elijah was there, then Elisha. Now with the death of Elisha during the reign of Amaziah, and uh, Jehoash, we're going to see the birth of the other prophets. God will always have a witness. Remember what he told Elijah? I still have 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. There's probably more than that in Judah because Judah has a better uh, ratio of good kings to evil kings. So you're going to start to see that ministry come out. What's part of the lesson here? That faithful people are still walking and serving God and still proclaiming his goodness. This is part of what we have to remember as our role in this world. All of our foundations matter to us in how we live, but they also matter in what we approve. Ephesians 5.11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Do not walk the ways that they wait. But they walk as they are awake. There you go, I'll cover myself. Do not walk in that way because we have a better calling, a different path to walk. And you're going to see that with the explosion of the prophetic ministries. What we'll probably do is kind of cover the prophets as we take little breaks in here as we walk through, um, walk through Chronicles. But we want to get most of this finished up here in King. So we lose Elisha. He's gone. Got to move my papers around so I can keep up with everything. 2 Kings 14, we get Amaziah in Judah. Good news, people. He is not evil. He's not David, but he's not evil. And again, that's going to be the comparison point. Um, he did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David his father. He did according to all that Joash his father had done. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. It came about that as soon as the kingdom was firmly in his hand, that he killed his servants who had slain the king, his father. But the son of the slayers he did not put to death according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, as the Lord commanded him, saying, The father shall not be put to death for the sons, nor the sons be put to death for the fathers, but each shall be put to death for his own sin. And that's important, because when we talk about, this is a conversation that came up in Sunday school last night, just this week. We talk about God visiting the sin on the third and fourth generation. That's not a direct punishment. You're punished for your sin. You're dealing with the consequences of dad and grandpa's sin. But you're not dealing with punishment. There's a difference between those two things. Grandpa was allowed. He taught your dad to be allowed. He taught you to be allowed. You were allowed. Congratulations. You have sin. You have consequences for your actions. And you're going to deal with those. 
that's how these generational quote unquote curses work. It's not, you know, God handing something down through the generations. It's you handing something down through generation after generation because you have forgotten who to lean on. You are now leaning on yourself and not your creator and sustainer and not trusting in him to fulfill and accomplish all that he has done. So <clears throat> Amaziah is going to war. He goes to war with Edom. He goes to war with Israel. He loses. The temple gets plundered. There's some fun for you. <sighs> Why? Because this is not what God's people are supposed to be doing. Yes, Israel, as I've already mentioned, is a pagan kingdom. Not Judah, Israel. Remember, we got two kingdoms going on here. While, Jude, while Israel is a pagan nation, we are still dealing with the children of Jacob. This is not who your war is against, and your war is not to go conquer them so that you can extract tribute or do anything like that. It is not to prove you are greater. It is to trust in the Lord, to defend your territories, to uphold your people so that you will walk faithfully. So that immediately runs you to Jeroboam, the second king of Israel. We get uh, Uzziah, also king of Judah. We'll come back to him. Not much going on. You get the appearance of Jonah as prophet, which is always fun because Jonah's primary ministry is actually not to Israel or Judah, but it is to hmm, 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 exactly someplace else. And the name has gone right out of my head. These not the Assyrians. Is it the Assyrians? My brain doesn't want to work suddenly, and I can't can't look this up. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Such fun. This is what happens when you try to put all these dates and numbers in your head. It can't be done and your brain starts to fry. So you get to chapter 15. Azariah, king in Judah. Once again, good team. We are not evil. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem and his mother's name was Jechaliah. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So the Lord struck the king so that he was no, so that he was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house while Jotham, the king's son, was over the household judging the people of the land. So there you go. Here's where you start to get that co-regency. So Uzziah, who is Azariah, is 790 to 739. Jotham is 750 to 731. You're going, but this was a decent king. What happened? Well, I can tell you what happened. He wasn't good. And this is part of the lesson to be learned. Decent kings aren't enough. You are supposed to be leading God's people. Being okay is not good enough. Being perfect is the standard. And if you can't be perfect, you'd best be repentant and crying out and trusting in God. That's what we mean when we say, like his father, David. That's what separates David from Saul, David from Ahab, David from Joash, David from Amaziah. It's the condition of the heart before the people. I mean, this is why Joash is executed or all assassinated. He kills one of the prophets. He kills the priest. I mean, this, is a, this was a good king. And we're killing and slaughtering priests? This is, this is not how this is supposed to be. Even when we get the good ones, we're still dealing with idolatry. So we jump back. We end up, let's see, we go from Zechariah, final generation of Jehu there. 
He's evil. He's killed. He reigns for a year. Shalom, king in Israel, he lasts for a month. Menahem becomes king of Israel, or Nenahem, depending on who you want to ask. He's evil. He bribes the Assyrians and then tries to tax the people to make up for it. He's killed by Pekah. Pekah becomes king. He's evil, and he loses a battle to Assyria by a gentleman by the name of Tiglath-Pileser, and he's killed by Hosea. Don't you love it? And Hosea will be the uh, final king of Israel. Meanwhile, we get to Jotham in Judah, who is not evil, but once again, see if you notice a current theme. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the king of Uzziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became the king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Only the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all he did are not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. And the answer to that is, yes, yes, they are. We're still not doing well here, are we? We're still not doing good. So, 16, we get Ahaz in Judah. He's evil. He sacrifices to Molech, which means he's literally burning infants alive in an, in an, effort, to prayer, in an effort to please a pagan deity. You say that three times fast. Go ahead. I dare you. Now, <sighs> He pays the Assyrians also. Damascus is taken. There's a new altar built for the temple. I mean, all sorts of wonderful things going on here. So the Assyrians are on the march. They are spreading around. Um, ah- Ahaz is also Ahaziah, depending on who you want to ask. So 835 to uh, 735, 735 to 715, which means he is king in Judah during the fall of Israel because the Assyrians are going to take out uh, Israel in 721, 722, depending on which history book and how they count that. But I love this. The bronze altar, which was before the Lord, he brought from the front of the house, from between his altar and the house of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of his altar. Why does the king have his own altar in the temple? Because the temple's not been about Yahweh for a really long time. Because as long as there are the high places, the temple has not been about anything resembling the proper cultic worship of Israel. It has not been about the right offering of the sacrifices. It has not been about Yom Kippur. It has not been about the Passover. It has not been about tabernacles. It has not been about any of that. It has been about the cult that comes about with the king. So the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David and his son Hezekiah reigned in his place. All right, we like Hezekiah, so we're not going to talk about him. (laughs) I'm not making this up. Twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, son of Elah, became king over Israel in Samaria. He's the last one. This would be about 732, and he reigns nine years, so somewhere in that 730s range. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, not only as the kings of Israel who were before him, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hosea became his servant and paid him tribute. In other words, he's trying to stay alive. We've played this game before. But the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, who had sent messengers to So, the king of Egypt, and who had offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done by year by year. So the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the whole land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. So that's how you get nine years as king from 732, which would be what gets you to what, 724? And then three years siege before we have the fall of Israel in 721. So Samaria is taken out. Israel is done for, and I love this part of second, uh, first, uh, yeah, I, I have written down here first, that's why I have second Kings 17. This came about 
the fall of Samaria, the destruction of Israel. Because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh. And we would say, you think, this is going back just over 200 years. 200 years that God was patient with these people, that God sent them prophets. Remember, the majority of the ministry of Elijah and Elisha was in the northern kingdom of Israel. 200 years of witness, time of testimony, prophecy of Joel during this time, warning about the coming day of the Lord and judgment, prophecy of Obadiah, warning against the judgment upon Edom, the work of Jonah in being sent to the foreign nations to warn them of the repentance that they should need so that they would turn back. Nineveh is the city I couldn't think of earlier, by the way. The work of Amos, the work of Hosea, the work of, I, of I, Isaiah. I keep trying to get stuck with my British and saying Isaiah. The work of Isaiah, the work of Micah beginning at the end of this reign, of the end of this time. All of this work is beginning in the fall, in the utter capitulation and destruction of Israel. And always realize, as we got closer to this, Israel got worse. I mean, we went from... I mean, we went from long reigns, 20 years, 30 years in Israel to a year, a month, 10 years, two years. I mean, we got Pika for a couple of decades, but you see as we accelerate down, it gets worse and worse and worse. Of course, they fall because they are disobedient, because they couldn't help but be anything but. So let's rewind to the dude that we like. It came about, chapter 18, that in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. He removed the high places, broke down the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Bronze serpent is cool and all. I love that story. It's a great picture of Christ, and it's one of the things that Jesus uses in John 3 to demonstrate who he is and what he will do. As the bronze serpent was lifted up, so must the Son of Man also be lifted up, that all who may look upon him will believe and be saved. But when it becomes an idol, burn it. Burn it completely. And that's what Hezekiah did. We finally removed the high places. We finally moved the, uh, the cultic worship of Ashtaroth and all of that garbage. We're finally getting back to actual, actual right worship in Israel. Don't think it's any coincidence that this is the ministry time of Isaiah. Isaiah runs from around 740 to 680. Hezekiah from 715 to 686. I don't think that's any coincidence here that as we get the next of the great prophets that everybody knows that we start to see good things so because of this they're given victory in battle they rebel against assyria and the assyrians are wiped out by god in chapter 19 you may be wondering why i mean god knew that at some point judah would fall we saw that in the ministry of isaiah but why not the assyrians and the answer is preser Who's the preserver? God is. What is he doing? He is working with precision over the long haul to accomplish all that he has said that he will do. The Assyrians destroyed national heritage. That's why when you get to the New Testament, 
the Samaritans are considered a non-Israelite people because they, what the Assyrians do is they move you around so much that you almost can't help but intermarry and intermingle. They want to destroy culture. If you don't have your own distinct culture, you can't help but be an Assyrian. That would be devastating for a people that are waiting for a king from the line of Judah. How would we know who's the line of Judah? Would that line be protected? Would it be upheld? How will we know who the Messiah is? We won't know any of this. We won't be able to prove it, and we'll all be stuck in limbo. It's the Babylonians who are allowed to take down Judah because the Babylonians preserve local cultures. They preserve the best and the brightest, and they uphold the individual nations as long as they are obedient, meaning they would uphold what God is planning. They are instruments for God's judgment. And once again, the prophets tell you just as much. Jeremiah tells you this. Ezekiel explains this. Um, Isaiah talks about how he will call out Nebuchadnezzar. They were instruments of God's judgment to accomplish what he wants. Was it vicious? Yes. Was it brutal? Yes. Was it pleasant? No. Was it precisely what God seeks to do to accomplish the salvation and sanctification of his people? And the answer is... Yes. You see this. So, uh, Hezekiah is spared. He gets his life extended, which is probably a bad plan. This is chapter 20. You're wondering, why do I say it's a bad plan? Because he's told he's going to get 15 extra years. Notice this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. Why does that matter? If Hezekiah's life is not extended by 15 years, Manasseh is never born. Why is that an issue? Well, because Hezekiah didn't play the long game. He was told that judgment would come, but he rejoiced because it wasn't going to come in his lifetime, so who cares? Which means if he's not taking that long, uh, uh, long, long-term view, what is he discipling? What is he teaching? He was a great king. What's his kid going to be? Manasseh did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, Hezekiah's father destroyed. He erected pillars for Baal and made an Asherah, an a, um, made an Asherah as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. He built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his sons pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft, used divination, dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. This was the judgment that was promised. This is judgment being brought by God, and it's why it comes along. So eventually he goes along. By the way, it's more than likely during Manasseh's reign that Isaiah is killed by being sawed in half. Isn't that nice? You get Ammon king in Judah. He's evil. There's a conspiracy. He's killed, which leads us to Josiah. What does Josiah do? Well, he's an eight-year-old who takes over, which is good news. Because up until Manasseh, it seems like the younger we get the king, the better off he's going to be. Josiah is not evil. Eight years old when he came king in Israel, he ruled 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. This is good news. What do we start to do now then? We repair the temple. What do we find? We find the book of the law. We find Moses. Uh-oh. Why do I say uh-oh? Because they realize that after reading it, we're in trouble, people. We're in big trouble. Big, 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 big trouble. We should have been doing all of the stuff 
We're not doing any of it, which might explain why we had 50-some-odd years of Manasseh ruling over the people. So what do we do? We get some reforms. The temple's purified. The cultic brothels are removed. Don't you love that? They were actually running brothels out of the temple for Baal and Asherah worship. Isn't that lovely? He purposely defiles the high places. He takes out all the other altars, reinstitutes the Passover. Why would that be a big deal? The Passover was literally the annual reminder for Israel that it is God who saves, preserves, and accomplishes all of these things. It is literally the annual festival of foundation, reminding you of all the things. This is what communion is supposed to be for you, Christian, that there is a sacrifice for sins in Christ, and it is good that God, who has upheld you this long, has saved you in Christ, he will be faithful, he will continue to uphold you, he will sanctify you, and you will persevere by his grace to the end, because he has lost none of his. That's what Passover was supposed to be for Israel. That's what communion, the supper, is supposed to be for the Christian. This is what we are supposed to be reminded of, because how else do you stand up against evil in the world? You don't. You can't. Unfortunately, Josiah is never but so good. Never but so good. So he goes into battle, which he should not have done, because he is killed by Pharaoh. He is buried, and Jehoahaz is king in Judah, and this guy is no good. Um, in the days Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to Assyria, to the Euphrates, and King Josiah, I'm sorry, that's the battle there. Is Jeho- uh, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king. He reigned three whole months in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hamatai daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and congregated all, according to all that his fathers had done, and Nico imprisoned him. Gotta love Pharaoh Nico. It sounds, like, sounds like a dude from Brooklyn. Hey, I'm Pharaoh and I'm Nico. Don't mess with me. I'll have to smack you up the, with the, upside the head with a bat, all right? So Nico imprisoned him at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he might reign in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a fine of 100 talents of silver and gold. So this guy's useless. Enter Jehoiakim, have fun. This is who Nico puts into place. This does not work well. Nebuchadnezzar uh, makes his run on things. You get the Battle of Carchemish in 605, where Egypt and Judah are routed. Judah from this point kind of becomes a vassal state. This is the first deportation wherein Daniel and his buddies are sent off to Babylon. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar does not trust Jehoiakim, so he is out. Jehoiakim is in. That doesn't last long. He doesn't stick around. And I said Jehoiakim was three months. I was wrong. It was Jehoiakim. So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, his son, became king in his place. So Jehoiakim gets you from 609 to 597. Jehoiachin gets you 597. He's 18. He's the one who lasts three months. His name, his mother's name was Nashuta Nahushta. There you go. He did evil inside of the Lord. At that time, Nebuchadnezzar comes in. There's another deportation. More than likely, this is the deportation that Ezekiel is caught up in because we'll shortly have the beginning of his prophetic ministry. And then you get to chapter 25, which is a long jump of history. And this is finally Nebuchadnezzar's had enough. Uh, Zedekiah ends up as governor, as a, as a vassal. This doesn't work out well. He rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, so Nebuchadnezzar comes in and breaks his foot off and kills everything he can and destroys Jerusalem. Zedekiah is blinded. He is cast out to Babylon, and Jerusalem is basically burned to the ground. The temple is destroyed. It will not be resurrected in anything resembling its splendor until the first century BC when Herod begins his building project. 
and when we get to Jeremiah and his ministry, we will we'll read his lament over this at seeing the death, destruction, and plunder that is going on. And from here on in, we have governors that won't last long, Gedaliah, and we'll cover that some more when we get to Chronicles. So either way, what you see, though, is simple. You see iniquity and destruction reigning. Why? Because the people are not trusting in God to reign. Don't trust in God. You have turned away from the presence of the Savior. You have turned towards the presence of judgment. But who are the good kings, and what do they have in common? They recognize that they are dependent upon God. Why would we be dependent upon God? Because he has made all things. If we are dependent upon him, then we need him to preserve us. And if he is going to preserve us, then we must trust in him as Savior for everything. And because we are trusting in him, we know that he will remain faithful, and he will accomplish all that he has promised to do. Therefore, we can trust him to cleanse us and to walk with us and to uphold us. When we don't walk according to those things, bad things happen. And Christian, nothing has changed. You want to understand why your nation is a mess? It's because the people in your nation are a mess. Why are they a mess? Because they have turned consciously to the presence of God to judge. That's why. What's the cure? To proclaim that there is a Savior, that God in his beautiful patience has persevered and dealt with humanity throughout all this time. And in the fullness of time, he has sent forth his son to save those from the curse of sin, the condemnation that the law proclaims, and then has empowered them to walk faithfully in his sight. That's our message. And that's the lesson we should be taking away from this, is that there were plenty of faithful, good people in Judah who were killed, who were exiled. Daniel and the boys are a great example of that. Faithful, God-fearing people who were cast out in the judgment of God on sin. But they remained, and they were upheld because God is good. In the midst of his judgment, he does not forget. And again, the long view. I don't care what's going to happen to my nation in 20 years, but I care about what's going to happen to the world in eternity. That's why Hezekiah should have cared about Manasseh. Not because the nation needs to be upheld, but because Manasseh needs to be upheld. And that will only happen as he walks faithfully with God. That's the long game we've got to play. So prepare thyself because nothing has changed in this world. God will not leave sin unpunished and God will not forget his people. So have fun. We'll tackle this again some more next week. And until we meet again, Ridge Bible, it'll do you good. Bye.